A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. They, they've either barely hit 60 games or they haven't even hit 60 games yet. What is our record even? I, I'm a terrible Cubs fan. I have no idea what our record is. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast, now hanging out with the guys at Obstructive View. We are not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but we're just a bunch of fans who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. Hello, this is Ken. I am Rice Cube on the socials. With me is Priscilius, also known as Jeff, and Skip, who goes by SVB. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Yeah, super. All right. And as summer is about to start, my kid just graduated from high school. Now is working full time because he doesn't want to go to college yet, which is fine. As we, you know, everybody deserves a gap year. I guess you guys have summer plans as well. We're actually going to go visit our former exchange student. We hosted a young lady from Spain a few years ago, and uh, and then COVID's interrupted us getting over to see her. So we, we get to go see her this summer, and we're super excited about that. That's awesome. Spain is great. I haven't been there in a long time. My, my only complaint about Spain was I went there for a conference years ago. And, you know, of course, it's international travel, so it's all-day flying, and I take the train, and I finally get to the city. I was in Zaragoza. And I'm like starving and it's like 6 p.m. and nothing is open because restaurants that open to like nine o'clock in Spain in the summer. <laughs> but I'm not going anywhere as exciting. I might just go to Wisconsin this year. We'll see. Maybe Hawaii. I don't know. You can see the Cubs at Wrigley North. Yeah. I mean, if they ever actually play any NL Central teams. You're going to Spain at least like try to avoid running it away from cows or whatever they do. I guess that's Pamplona, right? But you're yeah. nowhere near there. No, we'll be in Barcelona and Madrid, but the thing is, is I've never been that excited by adrenaline sports, so I don't downhill ski, and I, I'm not all that thrilled about whitewater kayaking or rafting or those things. It's probably why I'm such a fan of baseball. Yeah, baseball, you can kind of relax even with, like, the pitch clock now, and I guess we can talk a little bit about the happenings around the league. We had some very sad news about Jacob deGrom. Uh, some exciting news for the Cincinnati fans and uh, not so exciting news for the Toronto Blue Jays. But there's a lot of stuff to talk about. thought we could talk a little bit about uh, Marcus Stroman being really awesome. He's come up a little bit in trade rumors, which is extremely annoying given the current trajectory of this franchise, possibly due to the inconsistent offense. There are a few offensive black holes. Uh, we're missing including Bellinger, so we talk a little bit about that, see how they can potentially adjust and try to right the ship before a sell-off becomes truly inevitable. So MLV commissioner was talking a little bit about payroll and performance and some ramifications that this might have on the so-called competition committee, which translates to let's suppress payroll committee and anything else we can think of so how's that for a plan guys i love this plan i'm excited to be a part of it let's do it that's good onward as the spring gave away to summer past the ivy color dreams toward the days that kept us 
yearning for tomorrow. It's truly sad, especially for a pitcher that we all really enjoy watching, except when he pitches against the Cubs, because we know that <laughs> some shenanigans are inevitable in, in terms of uh, getting shut out and shut down. Jacob DeGrom hasn't pitched in a while, and they diagnosed him with a torn ligament in his elbow, and he's going to have Tommy John surgery. So that's incredibly devastating for a Texas Rangers team that actually hasn't really needed him all season, but it would be nice to have a healthy DeGrom. And unfortunately, the narrative is that he's making a boatload of money and he's had that injury history and he obviously deserves said boatload of money, but he won't be able to do anything with that for at least a year and a half now. Just incredibly bad news for him, for the fans and for the team itself. Yeah, it's a bummer, but it's also not super surprising. I don't know. I feel bad saying that about a player injury. Like, I certainly wasn't rooting for it. I mean, the, the writing was on the wall there. I can't remember which podcast or article or whatever I was reading was talking about, like, how his velocity keeps going up every year, and everyone's like, take, take a little bit off. It, it, it might help you uh, to actually be able to pitch at all. But I guess uh, if you're a MLB pitcher at the top of your game, you you got to go uh, full speed at all times, or you're not, uh, not going to be in the right frame of mind. I was trying to remember how long of a contract he signed with Texas. Was it three years or four years? It's a five-year contract. I think there's an option at the end as well. On Fangraphs, it's five years, 185, plus a club option for the first six year. That could be worth as much as $37 million. And it's so a little wacky too, right? Because, you know, Verlander and Scherzer obviously got those deals as well and they're in their forties. This one would have taken the ground past his age 40 season. And you, you kind of figure, well, somebody's got to take the risk, but obviously that risk is there and it has been realized. The thing though is when you look at Verlander and, and some of these guys, considering how good he is, I mean, sure, the Rangers are going to lose him for essentially for two years because he's barely pitched this year. He won't come back until, I don't know, maybe the end of next year. But he could come back and, and then they don't have to worry about it so much if it's if he follows the trajectory of a lot of the other pitchers. So it's bad for this year. It's bad for next year. But it, it might make the later part of his contract worth more. I mean, or at least worth what it might pay out. I mean, although I agree, you know, it's, it's it's tough when sport loses its big stars, particularly if, you know, there's some some questions coming into a contract and then it allows some of the talking heads to say, I told you so, or to kind of nag at things. But, you know, I like watching stars play. So that is really disappointing. Yeah, that's part of the rationale behind paying for that much money is because you get the star power. You start selling jerseys and you get the interest for, you know, the grande, even if he's only going to go five or six innings. Part of the thing that keeps eating at my mind is when, say, the Padres are doing poorly after blowing so much money on payroll. They're probably on their way towards writing their own ship, right, after having shut out the Cubs twice in, in the series, even though they lost the season series and they, they essentially earned the split. But when you see, like, all this money being paid to injuries 
and whatnot, that's giving fuel to the fire for the narrative that, you know, maybe we shouldn't spend that much. Maybe there is some rationale to suppressing salaries and whatnot, because that's exactly what the owners are trying to do. And, and as we gear up towards the next CBA, even after having just uh, solidified the CBA. So that's kind of the fear that I have is that situations like this are going to give them that kind of fodder to, to change the narrative and sway public opinion away from, you know, what we like. We, we like that labor is being given their due, due compensation. They're earning their keep. They are making sure that enough revenues are going towards the product that we actually pay to see. That's kind of the, a long, roundabout way for me to say I hope that this doesn't affect the next CPA and doesn't like start driving a salary floor or salary cap even as the players are adamant against it. When does the next uh, CBA start? In the current CBA they said that the expiration date is like 2026 so uh, there is some time. That's what I thought but um, yeah. on, the one, on the one hand you know in the short term you could say yeah you know these teams spent this money and it's not doing them any good but I, I'm too lazy to pull up a chart, but I have a very strong suspicion that there's a pretty good correlation between uh, payroll and wins. I don't know, I'm going to go out and limb on that one. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't think that limb's going to be all that weak holding you up, Jeff. You know, you're well supported on that. You know, I'm not sure that it's going to affect average annual value of contracts. What it might do is affect the length of contracts. This actually might be the thing that if people actually listen to the podcast, we get tons of comments on. Mostly trolls, you know, giving us a hard time about supporting labor because surely we have to be on the more progressive side of of some of this. But but at any rate, I'm maybe not so against teams not giving out 10 year or 12 year contracts. I want the players to get paid, but it but it seems a little insane to me for some of these contracts to go into, you know, somebody's age 42 or 43 year. So hopefully if it does affect contracts, it, it just affects length and not value. Yeah, that's what I suspect if you were actually to pull up the data, because a lot of the shorter contracts aren't for like star players. But I think there is some premium in uh, dollars per year or AV or whatever for people who have longer contracts. But I mean, I'm sure someone like, uh, well, how much is Bellinger being paid this year on his one year deal? Like what, 20 million or something? Or am I forgetting? I think it's uh, 18 and a half, maybe. Yeah, and which yeah. I think is, I mean, he wouldn't get 18 and a half uh, per year if he signed a five year deal. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of the impetus behind like adding more years is because the reason why Bogarts and Turner got so many years is because they could, uh, drive down that average a- annual value, right? If they didn't get it to like 11 or 13 years, they'd be making 30-ish million dollars a year. And now they're both suppressing the future value of that money, the overall value of the money, and they're suppressing the AAV number for their luxury tax purposes, which kind of feels like cheating, but nobody stopped them from doing it. Uh, the commissioner obviously could have, but he didn't. And the other thing that I wrote about in my long read slash skim of the CBA is, is the fact that there is like built in insurance if the teams choose to get it. And I'm not entirely sure. I, I, I forgot as I, I was reading through the DeGrom thing, whether or not he was one of the ones who got uh, injury insurance. Like there's all kind of blurring in my mind, but I feel like the Rangers would have been remiss if they didn't get some kind of insurance on, on that. 
Yeah, I mean, and as crazy as like these long contracts are, it's not like we're doing NFL stuff where they're tacking on like four voidable years to mess with the AAV that they use for their salary cap. So it could be a lot crazier. So let's move on to our own division, the NL Central. The Reds actually called up one of their top prospects, so a guy you've probably seen on Twitter and other media, just blasting home runs all over the place with ludicrously <laughs> crazy distances, right? Like he, he's hitting 400-foot bombs like you and I would swat a fly. But this is Ellie De La Cruz. He is currently playing, uh, as we speak, against the Dodgers in Cincinnati, De La Cruz currently has a nice solid hit and a walk. It's a pretty good debut for a highly hyped player. Seems like he might be a potential Cubs destroyer given that prodigious power and the fact that like no names on other teams, including like Billy Hamilton and Aristides uh, Aquino have ritualistically destroyed the Cubs. That's pretty exciting for the Reds fans. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess if I'm a Reds fan, I, I want him to live up to the hype and hit lots of home runs and be exciting on the base paths. And I hope that he doesn't have a prolonged settling in period like some of our more recent call-ups have this season. Kind of brings into question, like, what's up with the translation of skill sets from the minors to the majors? I, I imagine it has to do with the fact that the pitchers are just, like, miles better and that the catchers know how to game plan a lot better. Like you're looking at, say, a Nick Madrigal who just got sent back down to Iowa. He's been blistering the ball all over the place. He even hit a home run, albeit when assisted. But it's kind of crazy how, you know, these guys can destroy AAA pitching and then they come up and they look helpless. And it's also interesting because there are teams that aren't afraid to option down their stars. Like uh, Alec Manoa, he's been pretty terrible all season for the Blue Jays, and they just sent him down to the rookie league to, I, I guess, in their own version of the pitch lap to try to figure out what's going on. Because Was he a Cy Young finalist last year? I, I totally forgot, but he was really good. And this year, not so much. Yeah, I think he was a top three or four guy in the American League last year. He he's really been bad, but the last time I said somebody was really bad or, or particularly pitching was St. Louis, and um, and although they keep trading last place with us, it seems like they have been a lot better, or at least potentially better, since I said that the last time. So afraid to make any judgments on anybody at this point. The one thing that really stuck in my mind is that they they simply weren't afraid to option down a struggling former star to get them right, and um hoping that at some point they aren't afraid to do so for a few of the offensive black holes on our roster. Uh, in the meantime, like at least Marcus Stroman is being awesome, right? So he just uh, won National League Player of the Week. He had a couple of really excellent starts, including the complete game shutout against the Rays. He raised the Rays. And then he, he had the six six good innings this past week as well. So that, that was really nice to, to see. And the thing with Stroman is that he kind of frustrates me sometimes because he gets into such deep counts with guys. But I, I imagine that's like a function of not just his sometimes lack of command, but also the fact that, you know, the other players 
do have eyes and they can understand like when a ball is not going to be a strike. But the, the fact that he's generating so many ground balls and relying on an elite, at least the middle infield is a good defense. So that part of the plan is working, but uh, it's really nice to see him do so well. And I'm hoping he gets at least some Cy Young consideration, even if he might not ultimately win. But the thing that's like really bugging me right now with game 60 not even having been played yet, we're not even at the all-star break, even though, you know, at some point uh, teams are going to make preparations to either buy or sell. And he, he's been coming up in some trade rumors, and I do not like that, even though he has the opt-out and he wants the extension, but who knows what's going to happen. So I really hope he doesn't go away. The market's kind of so-so for pitchers next year, right? And when you've got somebody that's clearly taken to the system, that's used the system to his advantage in terms of pitch lab and the catching, you know, trio that we've got now. I know a lot of players say they want to stay, but, uh, and sometimes I believe that and sometimes I don't. But I think the way Marcus has talked about staying with the Cubs is, is legit. I think it's sincere. And, you know, at some point you have to start accruing stars, you know, you have to start accruing players that are in the top 15% of baseball if you're going to win. And so if they do another sell-off and the, the sell-off includes somebody like Stroman, the last two years they didn't really upset me too much, but that would be super upsetting. And it would suggest to me that they're really not serious about rebuilding at this point. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you completely. I mean, he, he does seem like he'd be happy to stick around, but as you kind of mentioned, I mean, you got to take that with a Always with a big grain of salt. Like, I'm sure he'd be happy to stay with the Cubs if, you know, some other team offered equal money or the Cubs matched something some other, some other team offered him. You know, someone's going to give you an extra million bucks. It's, it's hard to turn that down, but I, I, I hope he sticks around too. He's, he's fun picture to watch. Yeah, he seems to be really on top of his game right now because, like, he got those pitches. Like, sometimes they hang and then they get destroyed, which happens to every pitcher, but he's got some that sweep. And do the thing that makes uh, opposing batters just look super silly. He does obviously have the ability to opt out after this year. I feel like it would just be wise for them to tear up that last year of the contract and just sign him to a new five-year deal. I, I think what Skip said about a shorter-term deal at with the new new way the front offices are, are thinking that will work like a five-year deal for a pitcher of Stroman's caliber. It would probably not be much more than 130 or $140 million. Yeah. I'd be happy with that amount. Yeah. And they ought to sign Shohei Otani at the same time. Just saying. I I would also be okay with that. And if they give him 10 years, even though I just said, I I, I think those are silly contracts. I'm I'm also okay with that. Yeah. That, that, that's something you give 10 years to. You know, with uh, guys like Matt Mervis, they've been sending him quite a bit. And then when I don't know if the front office or the nerd guys in, in said front office, analytics guys, David Ross, whoever, they, they seem very reliant on the platoon based matchups. And when you look at the lefty hitters who are not Cody Bellinger and Ian Happ, it makes no sense to do it based on that. You just want the best guys in. So whenever they do like a, a lineup that includes like Master Boney and, and Edwin Rios, 
it, it's like you you can just kiss a couple of innings goodbye in that game. So I, I'm kind of glad that they are actually giving Mervis uh, a couple of opportunities against a uh, lefty for tonight's series opener against the Angels. But, uh, yeah, he's been struggling, and I'm hoping that he needs to adjust. I know he knows he needs to adjust, and to do that, he needs opportunities. So it's good that he's getting one. Yeah, I agree. I mean, usually I'm big on uh, trying to work the platoon advantage, but, you know, Mer- Mervis just needs – just these appearances at the big league level, I think. I, I, I kind of get, like, you know, at first, and they're like, oh, you know, let's sit him against a, a bunch of tough lefties. But I, I, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just bad luck, but, you know, maybe the Cubs have just faced a lot of tough lefties. I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it's the same thing where, like, it seems like we're either constantly saying that, oh, Mervis has to sit because of some tough stretch or, you know, the Cubs are have some tough stretch coming up, and it seems like that's the same excuse every week. So you just need some game time. We're, what, six games out in the one of the weakest divisions in baseball, and, and so if you're not going to take advantage of the time to let some of your young guys have their struggles this year in the hopes that, what, next year they miraculously figure it out while we might be more competitive? I mean, the whole idea for this year was let's let's hope we can finish – at 500 and, you know, and, and show some improvement, but also develop some of the young guys that are coming up, right? And so Morell and Mervis and if they bring up Ben Brown or, or whoever and some of the other pitchers, Assad and Estrada and those guys, you know, and, and Wesneski, they have to, they have to have field time. And then at the end of the year, you know whether you rely on them or not. So that it only makes sense that they start giving them some broader opportunities to me. And just speaking of platoons, uh, a guy like Patrick Wisdom just suddenly has lost the ability to hit anyone, including lefties, which is supposed to be a strength. So I'm hoping that's just a weird slump and, and he snaps out of it because at this point there are like various players on the team that I would not object to just them sending back to Iowa and pulling up some some other guy to to try to fill the time until Cody Bellinger is able to get back all the way from his knee injury. It's just that aside from, like, the top four or five spots and maybe Miguel Amaya, there's not a lot of pop in this lineup. You know, when a certain part of the lineup comes up, I'm just, okay, it's time to take a bathroom break or get get a new snack because it's it's not going to be pretty. If you need a bathroom break and the number seven hitter is up for the Cubs, you can pretty and, and you're really excited about watching Stroman pitch. You can pretty much go and not miss a single pitch. But when you get back, he'll still be pitching because because that inning uh, batting that that'll have gone really fast. It, it goes back to the part where we wonder, OK, these guys are obviously again, they're destroying triple A pitching. How can you help them transfer their skills more effectively so that they can start destroying MLB pitching as well? And that's a lot of the issues with these offensive inconsistencies is because of those black holes in the lineup and the fact that some of those skills aren't transferring. So uh, I don't know. That's probably a mystery for another night. But if you guys have any ideas, I'm all ears. Uh, not that we run the team or anything, but... I don't know that I have a lot of ideas on that, but but what I will say is it's not unique to us, right? I mean, look at Kirilov and with uh, Minnesota or Kalenic, however you say his name, and the, with the Mariners, Joe Adele. 
from Anaheim or or the Angels, you know, I mean, look at how many years we've been talking about him being a huge breakout and 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 a, a massive talent, and he hasn't figured it out at the major league level either. So what that secret sauce is, uh, I don't know, but I don't I don't think anybody else has really consistently figured it out either. No, it would be nice if we could play more games against the uh, relatively less good. NL Central. I know I say this as you know, the Cubs are just got swept by the Reds not too long ago, but uh, I'm kind of not enjoying this new super balanced schedule. Everyone else is beating up on the Central, but we, we haven't had really a chance to do it, it feels like. Yeah, I think uh, they, they ran into the Reds when they were just in a run of really bad luck where, you know, we talked uh, last time about how it seemed like all the hard hit balls are going directly at people. And all the runners on situations are happening with two outs when, you know, just one more out and you're done. That, that opportunity is gone. So it just seems like a lot of really stupid luck and bad sequencing all piled up at once. And that's turning into banked losses. And the, the team is only like six games out of a playoff spot, but there are teams ahead of them and there are what, like three, four months left. They, are on the West Coast road trip. I get to see them again on Sunday when they finish their said road trip uh, against the Giants. And I'm hoping that this time it won't be like, you know, the previous times where, you know, the two years ago it was right before they traded everybody because I, I got to see Javi and Anthony Rizzo and Bryant for the last time. And, you know, they, they lost them. And then last year, it was like when we thought Ian Happ and Wilson Contreras were going to be traded, and he wasn't. But, you know, they lost them, too. So this time, I hope they actually win. And this, hey, we can totally do this. We we can, in fact, get into a wild card spot or even win the division because they're not too far back. At some point, you just can't rely on the teams ahead of you getting beat. you got to actually go out and win some games. And I think there is still enough talent on this team to do it. It's just they actually have to do it. Yeah, it's like we said last last week. I mean, the summary is just just play better, guys. Well, I, I was looking at some of the splits, and in terms of offense, the teams in the five most you know, like OPS, they're in the top half of baseball in terms of ERA and opponents average against, and they're still in the top half of baseball. But the bullpen is the fourth worst uh, by a lot of the pitching metrics. They range between fourth worst and eighth worst. Eighth worst. So they're they're clearly, we thought we had the magic sauce for the bullpen, right? And that magic sauce, as they say down here in South Carolina, that milk ain't clean. And so something's up in the bullpen. It may, and, and, you know, whether it's the guys we signed or the development, some of the younger guys isn't really there all the way yet, but some major improvements have to happen in the in the bullpen at this point. I think Jeff and I talked about this last time too, but do you think it's a pitch lab problem <laughs> at some point? Because uh, some, some of these uh, things aren't translating, just like the offense. Like you, you have a guy like Jeremiah Estrada, who's obviously got really good uh, fastball and slider, but he's not throwing his slider as much and his fastball is getting hammered because the slider isn't playing. So it, it seems like, is there a little too much tinkering? Uh, you see a guy like Jamison Tyone, he apparently changed his pitch mix 
early in the season when he was getting like destroyed and he wasn't playing up to his potential. And then he had the really good start last time because he went back to what he felt most comfortable with. So I, I don't know if there, it's a, just a function of way too much tinkering. Well, when did the uh, pitch lab era officially start here? Because they had, they had a great bullpen and they built a lot of good. I mean, some of them were veteran guys in like 2021, like Chafin and was it, I think the Pero was that year too. Cause they got a zillion like decent prospects back for all those relievers they had in that bullpen. That was weirdly good. So maybe, maybe the pitch lab is better with veterans that, uh, have a, you know, have an easier time of thinking about how to absorb that into their real world experience on the, on the mound in the majors. I really don't know. I mean, it, 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 and maybe they're just over tinkering, like, like you guys have said, and, and they need to kind of more slowly uh, introduce things to the players. But no matter what you do in a pitch lab, you still have to execute, right? And so everything looks great on paper. Everything seems good in the lab. And then you go out, you know, onto the field and the opposing batters don't co- cooperate. They're out there to, to, to get you, right? So. But it seems to have worked with, with Stroman at least, right? Though, uh, I think something I had seen recently was saying that they were trying to get him to throw more four seamers or whatever as part of that, the pitch lab stuff. But since he stopped doing that, he's been pitching better. <laughs> I guess I'm trying to say it's not, it's not all bad. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Like they obviously know how to scout for the right kind of pitchers to work with. But uh, something is being lost in translation, or maybe they're just like they walked under a ladder and kicked a black hat or something. Who knows? But uh, something wonky is happening with this team that we thought would be solid. I I think, you know, Adams had his issues with Michael Fulmer before, but Fulmer is like okay in you know, recent stretches, except for, you know, a couple of blowups where he will give up a home run because something is hanging wrong. And then that makes me wonder, well, is it the pitch calling? <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess uh, we'll find out more at the end of the season if any of these guys survive through to the end of the season. Hopefully they don't have to sell off and we'll, we'll have much bigger sample size to play with. But at this time, it's just a lot of questions. It's a lot of mysteries. This, this team is an enigma wrapped in a conundrum as they should be way better than they are, even if way better ends up being just at 500. I think if Fulmer starts having, I mean, this is, this is pretty obvious to say, but he's, he's allowed a lot of base runners. And if he can get that a little bit more under control, then he's probably gone at the trade deadline, which is, which is fine, right? That's why you, that's why you sign some of those guys. And, and Boxberger, if he comes back healthy, I'm sure he's probably going to be gone at the trade deadline too. And I don't really have any trouble with that. It's, you know, um, I already stated my preference to hold on to Stroman, but some of these other vets that they, you know, they really, I mean, the, the game was pretty obvious, right? We're going to sign them for a year and see what we can get. That's okay. That's fine with me. If they bring Brant back something like, what David Robertson with with Ben Brown, somebody who's exciting, even though we don't know if he'll produce up in the majors, then I, I, that's okay with me still. Yeah, that might be a stretch given their current performances, but if they can like go on a good run, the other concern that I would have if they do go on a sell off is like, what does that say to the plan that they sold to Dansby Swanson to get him to sign here? Because Dansby has been excellent, like he does strike out quite a bit more than I'm. I'm happy with, but you know, that's pretty much the entire team and pretty much all of baseball right now. Like they're still striking out at quite a bit. 
uh, even with the pitch clock era and uh, all the rule changes and whatnot. But he, he's been good, and we liked the Cubs to not do this for a sustained run. Like, we've been pretty adamant about that. Like, okay, if this is a transition year, maybe that's fine. But there have been a lot of moves that haven't been made for this team during said transition year that could have been made. And if they don't make any moves this coming off season, and if they don't like try to adjust better, uh, plan better lineups as much as you can with whatever this roster is right now. There are certain times when you look at the lineup tweets from from the Cubs and you're just like, okay, this is probably going to be a bad day. And we need less of that. Or alternatively, more of that if it is uh, a lot of these young guys who are struggling. They just need time. <laughs> just more a lot of, uh, maybe a lot less. Uh, well, uh, maybe Eric Hosmer's gone, but um, I, don't, I don't know. I don't think much of Master Boney or you know, Nick Badgicle's already down. But just more of, the, more of the young guys, I guess. You guys mentioned Patrick Wisdom earlier, and, and he's notoriously streaky. Right. So when he gets on a hot streak, everybody's going to be like, wow, this guy's amazing, including me, because he is amazing when he's on these hot streaks. But he's a guy that you you could probably trade and not not feel terribly bad if you can get get something for him. But, you know, in, in terms of thinking about it in the sales pitch to Dansby Swanson, you know, they've extended Nico. They extended Hap, brought Tyone in for four years. That was after I think that was after Swanson signed or it was pretty close to the same time they're investing in their younger players and they're bringing them up and then finally they're getting some experience and so then it really becomes so say for example Hendricks has been looking better with each of the starts that he's had I think and I think he was kind of getting screwed by the umpire in his last outing but that's an understatement (laughs) yeah Right. And, you know, so assuming he continues to improve and, and then he's got, you know, good stuff, they've got what, like a $14 million contract option on him that the Cubs hold. Would you trade him even though you've got an option year if he's, if he's doing well or do you hold on to him? That's, that's one of those questions that I think comes back to that sales pitch to Dansby Swanson. If you trade him, then you're like, yeah, we're going to, we're going to push off the rebuild. You know, it's going to take a little longer than we thought. If you keep him, because he's doing really well and and he's healthy and his shoulders back and all that, then maybe that says, okay, you know, we are going to go for it more next year. Alternatively, like if they don't pick up the option, because I after last season when he had the really bad season, I figured they wouldn't. That's because they do have those guys down there like Ben Brown, uh, Westneski, anybody else I'm forgetting, a rejuvenated Caleb Killian. Uh, all those guys are available, plus the guys who are knocking on the door in double A as well. So it's not like they have to have Kyle Hendricks, but, you know, for a little bit of continuity from the very last championship team and from a guy that everybody likes and everybody, like, enjoys being around and seeing pitch, it, it wouldn't be a terrible idea to pick up that option either. So having that kind of option, uh, no pun intended, is a good thing. If by the trade deadline or the end of the year, if, if his ERA is about 3.5, something along that line, and um, and you know, and, and he's pitching pretty well, the value of the depth is is really really worth it. 
look at Tampa Bay, right? They've, they lost Rasmussen and they lost, uh, I forget the other guy, but they lost another one of their shields or something that was a, a or springs maybe, um, that was supposed to be a, a big part of their rotation. And, you know, they keep plugging in all these other guys and they're still the best team in baseball. And so if Hendricks is depth in, in the sense that he's, you know, maybe pitching like a number three or a number four and the other young guys might sort of be the same as that, I'm okay with that. I, I think let him come up and pitch out of the bullpen like Keegan did, you know, and, and, and like, uh, Steele did and, um, and get that experience that way. I think that's, I, to me, that makes a lot of sense rather than um, always bringing everybody up to start. Yeah, I will always kind of wonder what uh, Kyle Hendricks would look like as a multi-inning reliever, kind of like what they want, wanted to do with Alzali or, or Assad. There there are guys right now, like Merriweather, I think we were all poo-pooing at the beginning of the year, but he's been on a very good run, and I, I like fastballs that go above 98 miles an hour. That makes me happy. And I hope he doesn't blow up an arm or, or anything, but consistently being able to throw 90, 98 plus is really good. I, I'm kind of interested in why, like, you know, Jeremiah Estrada, he should be able to do that. But at some point, like you see his uh, velocity go down and then you wonder, well, is is he tired or is he just trying to control where that ball goes and taking a little bit off? So, yeah, having more guys being able to throw hot cheese. Is a good thing. I'm, I'm impressed by Merriweather's ability to only pitch on uh, days where I'm not watching the game. You know, I was thinking the same thing. I've only seen him pitch twice all year. <laughs> I'm like, I, I understand he has, you know, a 98 mile an hour fastball, but I don't know that I've ever seen it. Yeah, I might be on uh, Pitching Ninja a couple of times. Like, Pitching Ninja has shown a lot of, like, the Strowman's pitches and, and stuff. So that, that was a lot of fun. San Diego series is over. The Cubs are still within striking distance, despite the fact that they've been playing terribly because the rest of the division and possibly the rest of the league is pretty terrible. So I guess that's good fortune in a sense. So hopefully they, they figure out something uh, starting tonight. As of this recording, they are playing the Angels for a three-game set. They're going to the Giants, and I hope to see them win the road trip finale on Sunday. I'm always excited to see the Cubs play, at least until the second inning. And plus, you know, when they get to play Shohei, I, I just think, you know, that's, that's you know, extra icing on the cake. So let's see how it goes, but um, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, maybe have, say, a Suzuki uh, walk over and talk to Shohei and say, hey, the Cubs are pretty good. You should come there, even if it's not true at the time. But uh, we'll see. Some, sometimes that works. If you Darvish could give, you know, give, give us, uh, you know, some props the next time he talks to Shohei and then Suzuki can back it up. I'm all for that. Yeah. But then again, the Padres are just like spending like drunken sailors. So who knows? <laughs> they, they, they might, uh, say you, you will be like, Hey, you should come hang out with me here. It's nicer down here in San Diego. Uh, it is pretty nice in San Diego, honestly. Hopefully, uh, the Cubs do better recruiting than San Diego. Chicago's nice, too. I, I won't lie. I do miss Chicago. But, uh yeah, thanks to everybody for hanging out with me tonight. You can find us 
all on Twitter in some extent, as long as it remains a viable platform. Who knows when, how long that's going to last. In the meantime, there's the other maybe not viable for too long, much longer platform, uh, Facebook, uh, where we keep our World Series Dreaming page. Our site, which miraculously still is still around after all these years, is obstructiveview.net, uh, where I met these jokers, and we've been having a lot of fun. So I appreciated all, all the time we spent together and, you know, just commiserating on these Cubs and remembering the 2016 World Series, which I want to thank Randall Sanders for pulling the call from the radio and thank Rich Deanna for our theme song. You can rate us on Apple Podcasts, share us with all your friends. You can email us at worldseriesdreaming at gmail.com. Thanks again, gentlemen. I hope you all have a wonderful night and uh, go Cubs for this late West Coast game, which is not so late for me. Yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying these best games in the mountain time zone. Me too, because everybody else in my house is in bed already, and I'm the only one who's ever up. Here's a since you mentioned Twitter, uh, Ken. Here's a question: Which is going to end up higher, the number of months that Twitter still is a viable platform, or the number of hits that Miles Mastroboni gets this year? Ooh, uh, I might have to give that to Twitter. Honestly, like uh, it's still like the best place to get rapid news it brings us a lot of good news a lot of good articles even if elon and his buddies have screwed up the algorithm and the interface uh i, I still get a lot of my information from them that's an excellent question uh it might be close i think it might come down to the definition of viable <laughs> but thank goodness for obstructive view and for this a little podcast of ours. So thanks, guys, and uh, go Cubs. Go Cubs. Go Cubs. It was more than just a game.